As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and I have to ask you, have you had the breakthrough you're waiting for this week? Remember, I prophesied this was going to be a week of breakthrough and victory, but God gives, we have to take. God is always in the business of giving. In fact, in James chapter 1, James writes, He is the God that giveth. Oh, I love that. But God is little disappointed there aren't more takers. God is giving and giving and giving and giving, but we've got to take. I really like what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, We need to give more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. It's kind of the picture of God with blessings and victories, tossing them in our direction, and God is waiting for somebody to play catch. They're coming in our direction all the time, but you've got to take it. There's a giving and there's a taking that is involved. God is the giver, but with faith, we take. And this week I prophesied that God wants to give you victories and breakthroughs this week. You've got to take it by faith. And if you need somebody to pray with you about any breakthrough you need, call us. Because I guarantee you, if you call us, you will really be prayed for. If you don't want to really be prayed for, then don't call us. Because if you reach out to us, we're going to pray for you, and God is going to answer and do something on your behalf. Amen, Denise? Amen. Amen. I'm thinking about a miracle right now that just happened recently uh, when our office was praying with somebody. A woman had a disease on her hands, and it was so horrible. It was keeping her up at night, and she couldn't even put her hands in water because they would just burn so badly. And so she called and our, and we prayed with her. One of our people prayed with her. And the next morning, her hands were completely clean. Denise, we've got serious people in our prayer care department. I mean, really serious people, mature. They've walked with God for it's years. True. They know the Bible. They know the will of God. They know how to pray. Isn't that amazing, Paul? Partner care is a great place to be. And every time I'm in Tulsa, I enjoy being in partner care and even talking to the people that work there and pray with you because they're filled with testimonies. And immediately when we walk into that room, they begin to tell us about you. They begin they do. to tell us about who they prayed for and what's happened. And they begin to share testimonies. It's precious. They are just bubbling with testimonies of answered prayer. If someone from partner care at Renner Ministries has prayed with you, please write them and tell them thank you. I'm oh, sure they would appreciate that'd it. That'd be awesome. Oh, that's a great idea. But hey, we want you to get our download, which is free this week, called Works of the Flesh versus the Fruit of the Spirit. And today and tomorrow is the last day we're offering it. Now, this is just, in Russian, you call it a little maquette, which means it's a little fake version because I don't have the real one. The real one's in Tulsa. It's huge. It is huge. And Denise, it is free. When I think of the materials that we are sowing into people's lives, it just stuns me. What a It's a mountain of material. It is. You, know, you ought to get anything that's free. It's being given, but you have to take it, and you can get it by going online at renner.org or by giving us a call. And right now, we're also offering you the whole series. And I have to be honest, when I began to teach this series, I did not realize how good it was going to be. But as I began to really move into this series, oh, my heart was full, studying the works of the flesh, which I don't want to work in my life, and you don't want to work in your life. 
They'll produce death. They produce death. Death permeated works. Or you can have the supernatural life-giving fruit of the Spirit. We have to choose which one. Finally, we got to those verses about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to talk about it tonight. I got so blessed, so encouraged. God wants the fruit of the Spirit to operate in your life. You might not even know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Get this here as you'll find out. It's really something. Amen, Denise? Amen. Well, let's move to the next fruit. Are you ready? And tonight we're going to look at joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness. And we're going to return to Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23, where Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit, and then he says, is love. And the next he mentions joy. Now I want to tell you, happiness and joy are not the same thing. Now I'm going to sound, say something which may sound a little anti-American. It is not. It's just really good, sound, spiritual common sense. I understand that the Constitution says every person has the right to life, liberty, liberty and the pursuit, pursuit of, of happiness. happiness. The people who just live to pursue happiness, they're never happy. They're never happy because happiness is a temporary emotion. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. And let me give you an illustration. I say that happiness is like the top of a river or the top of a lake. It's very peaceful. It's very enjoyable until wind comes along. And when the wind comes along, it begins to add waves. Suddenly you lose the state that you were enjoying. Things begin to move around, get stirred up. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is like the current that runs real deep in the bottom of that lake. It doesn't matter what's going on on the surface. Joy is never affected. It is constant. It is continuous. And the truth is, people who just run around seeking happiness all the time are never happy because it's a state that is easily affected. That's why they trade spouses. They change jobs. They want another house because there's just never enough to keep you in that state. That's just the truth. And it's the nature of flesh, just to run from one, just, I've got to have something else. I've got to have something to make me happy. And some people think that their whole objective in life is just to be happy. That is not a very good objective, because happiness comes and goes. But God has given us something called joy. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want you to be happy. Of course, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if that is your entire objective, that's not very deep. As you're talking about happiness right now, I had several memories flood my mind of children's birthdays. Uh, birthday parties are definitely supposed to be a time of happiness. <laughs> when you enjoy each other, you enjoy the food, it's a celebration of life. It's definitely supposed to be a time of happiness. But if you've ever had a <laughs> birthday party <laughs> with children, <laughs> sometimes there are some very very happy moments. It, it just seems like there's so much happiness that you couldn't fit it in any container. It's just more happiness than can be contained. It lasts just for a little while. And then something goes wrong. The toy breaks or there's no batteries for the toy. <laughs> or the brother or the sister takes the toy. And all of a sudden, there was so much happiness. It, it, <laughs> I don't know how it happens. It, it's like the room was full. It, the room was electric with happiness. happiness. You, you, could, you could walk in the room and get happy just by being around that much happiness. 
And then all of a sudden, it doesn't just evaporate. The same atmosphere turns into something aggressive, mean, <laughs> and angry in a split second because something went wrong. And happiness has this, this fleetingness to it. So happiness is very fragile. Very, very. And you can't okay. live your life trying to be happy, happy be because happy. it's too fragile. It's well, too fragile. Isn't, isn't that like reveling? Because you're just running from you're one just thing running to, from one thing. It's to, a work of. It's actually it's a work of work the flesh, of the flesh I, to entertain myself and that I be happy. I want to just tell you that I, I want to enjoy my life, but being happy is not very important to me because it doesn't last very long. It's enjoyable, but for sure, either you're going to get tired of what made you happy. Or something's going to happen to interrupt it. I mean, it just, it's very short-lived. And I think it's interesting. The Constitution calls it the pursuit of happiness. Because it is a pursuit that never ends. Because happiness is something that evades you. It keeps moving further and further and further away. But the Holy Spirit gives us something better called joy. Mm -hmm. And the word joy is from the Greek word kara. You hear another word? Charis. Charis. The word charis is the word grace which means joy is grace produced, it is supernatural, has nothing to do with external circumstances. It's much deeper than that. It's like the current in the bottom of the lake. It just keeps moving. It is unaffected by the ripples on the top. It's so powerful. Joy is divine in origin. Someone may feel happiness, merriment, hilarity, exuberance, excitement, or high spirits, but all of these are fleeting emotions. Joy, on the other hand, is a grace-produced expression that flourishes even when times are strenuous, daunting, or tough. I think about the early church. You know, people who think that they just have a right to be happy all the time. Well, let's talk about Christians who live in other parts of the world where they're persecuted for their faith. They may not be very happy that their fingernails are being pulled out. They may not be very happy that they're going to be crucified or killed for their faith. Or that their children have died for their faith. But they can still have joy. Yes. The early church was marked by joy even in daunting times. Joy is such a strong current in our lives. And I want to give you an example from Thessalonians. When Paul preached to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians really had horrific persecution. That was a very pagan city. And when Paul writes to them, listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in what? Much affliction and with joy of the Holy Ghost. Mm. They had much affliction, but they had joy at the same time. Mm. And the word affliction, just so you understand, is the Greek word ellipsis. That is a horrible word. And Paul uses it all the time because he experienced so much of it. Thalipsis. It describes great pressure, crushing pressure. It even means to suffocate, to bully. It describes the brunt of society, the pressure to conform, a horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze, a situation so difficult it causes one to feel stressed, squeezed, pressured, or even crushed. Paul uses this word in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 where he says, Brethren, I want you to know about the thalipsis that came to us when we were in Asia. We were pressed beyond measure so that we despaired of life. That's the word thalipsis. It's a crushing pressure. And now he uses this word to describe 
what the Thessalonians were going through, and yet he says in the middle of it they had kara joy. It didn't matter what ripples were happening on the top. Down deep they had a current of joy that was grace-produced. They were unaffected. Rick, I just... It's supernatural. It's supernatural. I can't, I can't just listen to this and not think about the Apostle Paul in Philippians because he was in that horrible jail, death all around him. Singing. And, and in that book, four chapters, is the word joy or joyful or rejoice 19 times. And he even says rejoice and again, I say rejoice. And he would tell people who were having conflict, like those two ladies, I think it's in chapter four, and these two sisters that had helped him and ministered to him, but he found out that they were having conflict. And he, at, right after that, he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Yeah, it's interesting that if you read Paul's writings, he never uses the word happy, not one time, but he uses the word joy. But I want to translate this verse. The RIV of 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Speaking to the Thessalonians. You threw your arms open wide and gladly welcomed the word into your lives with great enthusiasm. Mm. And you did it even in the midst of mind-boggling sufferings. A level of stress and intensity that would be suffocating and crushing for most people. But while you were going through these hardships and hassles, you were simultaneously experiencing the supreme joy of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, if you've been after the pursuit of happiness and you seem that it's just eluding you, maybe you need to go for joy. Joy is in you. It's already here. It's in the seed of God that is in you. Rather than try to find the surface of the lake that's free of ripples or movement, dive deep because the seed of God is in you and it will produce a current that moves you through life where you can experience joy regardless of what's going on. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Then he next mentions peace. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. What does peace mean? All right, I'm going to give you a lesson in Greek, guys. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. The Greek word arane, that's the word peace. And here's what it means. It is the cessation of war. Mm. It means conflict has been put away. Mm. It pictures a time of rebuilding, a time of reconstruction after the war has ceased. It is the removal of distractions, a time of prosperity. Because you're not focused on fighting, you can think about rebuilding and regaining. It's a time of prosperity. It describes the rule of order in the place of yeah. chaos. It is a calm inner stability that results in the ability to conduct oneself peacefully, peacefully, even in the midst of circumstances that would be normally traumatic or upsetting. It is the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew word shalom, which expresses the ideas of wholeness, completeness, or tranquility in the soul that is unaffected by outward circumstances. So in this sense, it's a lot like grace. It's a deep river. It's a deep current. And an example that I love is when the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 was in that ship which was about to be wrecked at sea. Everybody's bailing water. They're fighting to stay alive. God speaks to Paul, and suddenly Paul is in the midst of this mess of chaos, and he is like a beacon of peace. Wow. 
He's able to hear from God, speak for God. Why? Because this fruit of peace is operating inside him. I'll never forget one time many years ago, we had a real serious attack in our ministry. And I had to go to another country to deal with the issue, and I took some team members with me. Walked into that situation, and when those other team members saw what was happening that was so wrong and egregious, they got so upset. Yelling began to take place between various members of the group, and I was amazed by myself. I was totally unaffected. I just stood there like peace in the mortar middle of chaos. What was in me just brought order. There was no distractions. There was actually tranquility. My team members looked at me like, how in the world can you just stand there like a column that is unmoved? That's what peace does. It's the cessation of war. You know, when you don't have peace, you think wrong, you act emotionally, you say things you shouldn't say, you take actions that you shouldn't take. But when this fruit, RNA, peace is operating in you, it brings order, it brings wholeness, it brings tranquility, the ability to think right. What a fruit of the Spirit, Paul. So often when we talk about peace, we think about following after peace. But the verse that we're actually quoting says, follow after peace with all men. That's in Hebrews chapter 12. Not follow after peace as if it's something that's always evading you or you can't actually catch up to. We have it. Peace is in us. Peace is in you. So that lack of war or conflict, it doesn't mean that there's a lack of conflict or lack of problems outside but you have something in you bit bigger. You can, you can find that peace in. not outside of you, but you can find that peace inside of you. And the peace inside of you actually begins to bring forth fruit and it will change the atmosphere it around you. It's, it's a dominating peace. So instead of following after peace or looking for peace somewhere, somewhere out there, you find it on the inside. It's a lack of war or conflict that you can keep on the inside of you. Let's move on to long suffering. Can I say something about Real peace? Real quick, because we're about to run out of time. Well, because it's the greater one on the inside oh, amen. of you. That's and good. so the peace inside of you really is greater than the conflict that's on the outside of you. And it goes back to that embracing the seed of God that he put inside Which of us. Which will produce that peace. Exactly. He is the prince of Peace. Peace. Peace is in us. But next is long-suffering. What is long-suffering? The Greek word makrothumia. It's a fun word. The word makros describes something long. It's where we get the word for macaroni. Macaroni is long. The second part of the word thumos, passion. You put the two words together. It's the ability to feel something for a long, long time. It is forbearance, the ability to go a long, long time. Where I say that when you have long suffering in your life, you're not like a candle with a short wick. You have a very long wick. You're able to endure and forbear for a long, long time rather than blow up very quickly, which really is a terrible work of the flesh. It's terrible. You have a long wick. It takes a lot to push you over the edge because you've got a, such a long wick. And this word long suffering means it's ready to forbear and patiently wait. It doesn't easily give up or bow out. And I want to read to you the RIV 
from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, where the same word makrothumia, the word long-suffering, is used. Listen to this. Love is not short-tempered or easily angered. Here's the whole thing. It's not short-tempered or easily angered. Love does not quickly blow its top, but is patient as it waits for others. Love is not irritable but and impatient, but is willing to wait a long time for someone to change. Love is determined to wait until the other person finally comes around. Love passionately burns for others and is willing to wait as long as is necessary. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it's, it is amazing. We all need a good dose of that, and we have it. And we have it. It's inside of us. Then he adds gentleness. What people think the word gentleness means soft, mild, meek. doesn't mean that at all. The word gentleness in Greek is the word krestotes. And gentleness, it's an okay translation, but it's not the best. Listen to what it means. The word gentleness literally means one who is adaptable to others. A person with this trait seeks to become adaptable to the needs of those who are around him. Now, I want to tell you, when I did my series called The Love Test, based on 1 Corinthians 13, you should order it. It's on our website. I taught on this, Christotes, adaptable. And some people responded and said, Rick, you are so wrong. You're teaching to be codependent upon other people, just to bend to the needs of those that are around you. What in the world is wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That's what Jesus did. Jesus was Christotes. He was gentle. That's this word. He could speak to farmers on their level. He spoke. He came to their level. Jesus could speak to religious people. He adapted himself to speak to them. He could speak to bankers because he understood money. He could speak to them on their level. Jesus was constantly building bridges to touch everybody. When God came to the earth, he didn't come as God and say, now come up to my level. He was born as a baby. I cannot imagine being any more adaptable. The Bible says he was made in flesh in the form of a man because he had to come to us on our level. You know, I was telling Denise and Paul, when a baby is born, what do parents do? They become adaptable to their child. They speak in gibberish and baby talk to the child. That's not normal for them. They don't sacrifice who they are by doing that. They're just connecting with that child as that child needs to be connected to. And we have an example in the Bible of what it means to be adaptable. Listen to what it means. According to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, Paul says, Under the Jews, I became as a Jews, that I might gain the Jews. Verse 20, To them that are under the law, as under law, that I might gain them. Verse 21, To them that are without law, as without law, that I might gain them. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. Verse 22, I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, let's give the example of marriage. Sometimes I need to be what Denise needs me to be. Sometimes she needs me to be quiet. Sometimes she just needs me to hug her. Sometimes she just needs me to listen. You know what? If I really love Denise, in those moments, I'm going to be what she needs me to be. And I'm not going to say, excuse me, this is why I am. If you don't like it, you can just lump it. That's not love. That's not the Spirit. And likewise, there are moments when Denise 
really adapts to me of what I need. She doesn't just say, just get over it. If you don't like who I am, I'm going to be who I am, whether you like who I am or not. That's not love. That's all self-seeking. We don't have to sacrifice who we are. But when the Spirit's working in your life, you're not thinking about yourself. You're really not. You're thinking about how to reach, how to build a bridge, how to help. When the fruit of the Spirit's working in your life, guess what? Your mind is not on you. <laughs> your mind is on somebody else. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness, which really means the ability to be adaptable to others. And it's supernatural because the flesh always says, excuse me, this is who I am. If you don't like it, you can lump it. There's nothing pretty or godly about that. But a person who's really mature and secure in who they are in Christ, they can say, how can I help you? What can I be for you right now? And it's supernatural. It's called gentleness. But we've got more to cover, Denise. We're out of time, Paul. <laughs> this has been good. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs> if you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.